Science with a Swiss touch. Science with a Swiss touch. Science with a Swiss touch. <laughs> Conversations between Swiss journalists and their international peers at the World Conference of Science Journalists, brought to you by Swissnext San Francisco. Hi, my name is Daniel. Daniel Saraga, I'm uh, head of science communication at the Swiss National Science Foundation, the main funder of scientific research in Switzerland. I'm here at the WCSJ, the World Conference of Science Journalists uh, in San Francisco, and I'm going to interview Martin. Hi, my name is uh, Martin Rock. I'm the Associate Director of Communications at the Exploratorium. Excellent. So, Martin, it's a great pleasure to meet you, um, and I wanted to talk with you a little bit about the Exploratorium, of course, but also a little bit how you think science communication and outreach has evolved for the last, whatever, decades. So maybe can you tell me a little bit about the Exploratorium now? Sure. It's grown to be really big. You're a couple of hundred people, maybe. So how, how do you view the evolution from the birth of the Exploratorium and now, and what are your biggest projects now? Sure. First, I want to say uh, thank you for having me on, and it's wonderful to meet you as well. It's, it's really great that we have the... Um, have, that we have a chance to talk to one another, uh, even though we're neighbors at the Exploratorium. We also are here talking at the World Conference of Science Journalists. Um, so the Exploratorium began in 1969 as what we refer to as a learning laboratory. Um, it started by Frank Oppenheimer, and he was really interested in giving people an opportunity to engage, have direct uh, positive experiences with science that were kind of apolitical and um, weren't really interested in uh, and kind of teaching. It's not a didactic space as much as it is uh, a, a place of informal learning. So people can have an experiential uh, process through which they c come closer to science and ask questions about the natural world and then end up ultimately hopefully understanding something that they didn't know when they walked in. I think another thing that we do that's really interesting is um, we provide an opportunity for people to kind of upset their expectations. So often we think that what we initially uh, see is always the is a representation of what the way things are, right? And so we have a number of uh, really interesting exhibits that you can interact with and uh, you kind of walk away realizing that the thing that you immediately apprehend is not always necessarily the thing that you think you're seeing, right? So does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, li I like to, to rebound something you said, which I found interesting. Uh, you mentioned that amongst the goals of the Exploratorium at the beginning, it was to bring, to, to give the opportunity to have a positive experience with mm -hmm. science. Now, there is a different mood around science now. There's self-criticism in science. We know now that science doesn't always get right to the truth. There is issues, there is fraud, there's issues the way science is made. And is it something that you are reflecting, thinking about in the way uh, you want to, to, you know, to bring contact with science? Do you, do you think it's something that you want to, to explain more the fact that maybe, well, we don't necessarily have to have a positive experience about science, but maybe a more realistic experience of science? It's a really interesting question. I think, um, I think ultimately it's important that people are having direct and personal experiences with science, and ultimately they will kind of come to the conclusion that they come to. Uh, there's one, one interesting thing is that our, as a museum, we don't have docents like a lot of other museums do. Um, we have explainers, right? And so those, high, those explainers are often uh, high school explainers, and they come from many different parts of the city uh, and from the Bay Area. And so 
Um, sometimes when high school explainers are explaining things, certainly like part of the process is to help them to understand um, how to engage in scientific research, how to ask questions, how to figure out how to ex best explain the exhibits and things like that. But often, um, you know, sometimes they get it wrong as well, just as everybody does. And I think that the important thing is the, is the seeking. The important thing is asking questions and then continuing to question those answers. So ultimately, I think science is a process, right? It would, it would be a, a a kind of travesty to assume that any time a scientific uh, idea is postulated that it is, it is absolute, right? Uh, it's always kind of a process. Things are constantly in, in flux. And so I think that there's an important element to acknowledging when things are incredibly likely and agreed upon by the scientific community. But I also think it's important to acknowledge that, that science is something that, uh, that is constantly kind of trying to improve upon itself. And so ultimately when you engage in science, you're also trying to improve upon your own, your own self and your own understanding of the world around you. And, and what, what are your, the technique, the tools you're developing to kind of change the discourse or, or the way people approach science? So before, probably it was, yeah, we have to explain, this is the way it works, and then maybe, oh, we need hands-on experience so people can really do themselves, but now maybe you have to, to address the fact that something, sometimes experiments don't work or that you get wrong answers or right. you might get misled by the answer because you just didn't really think enough. What kind of uh, exhibits or experiments or hands-on things are you imagining to bring this, you know, maybe new perspective about science, that science is not always getting it right, that there is this kind of an uncertainty or even like subjective interpretation? Sure. Well, one thing that we do that I think is, is probably a, a really good example of that is that we, when we moved in 2013 to the new building, we fitted it with a number of sensors. So the building is collecting environmental information and environmental data on everything from CO2 uh, to particulate matter, to which we saw, of course, during the fires really increase consist, uh, quite a bit. Um, but then we also have, uh, we're collecting all of these sort of data points, right? And we're feeding that data into a number of networks that are national and international data, data networks. But we're also giving individuals who come into the museum an opportunity to look out the window and see where that data is being collected. And then as they see that, we can also say, and this is uh, we have a data explorer where people can bring up certain data sets and, and ask questions about that data to try and figure out, you know, is there a correlation between air temperature and particulate matter, for example? And it turns out there is. And it's one of those things where when we give people an opportunity to directly engage with data and also to, to, to identify where that data is being collected with their own eyes, that it's something that becomes a, a sort of like personal experience of understanding science. Another one that we're doing is um, Cells to Self, which is something we'll be launching in 2019 as part of our uh, 50th anniversary. And so one of the exhibits that we've uh, been working on with that is really fascinating. It's uh, We'll be using cardiac myocytes, which are basically um, their cells, heart cells, human heart cells that are derived from stem cells. And so uh, visitors will be able to identify those cells, look at them as they're sort of beating erratically um, on a microscope. We have a, a wonderful bio lab with research grade microscopes and, and excellent facilities. And so they'll be able to watch those cells beating and then put their hands on uh, kind of something that measures their own heartbeat and they'll watch the cells start to sync up to their own heart. And so it's a way of really trying to get people to understand that our bodies are, like we think of ourselves as a coherent and cohesive self, right? But we're actually comprised of all these different things, many of which are human cells, many of which are also non-human cells or non-human bacteria. And so we're really trying to uh, get people to really understand, I think in some ways, the complexity of, um, of what makes us who we are, right? Biologically speaking, it doesn't even enter into the social sphere, which we do a lot of exhibits which are about that as well. 
Very cool, excellent. I wanted to ask a completely different question about the, the change of scenery and actors in terms of science communication. Now we have a lot of newcomers coming in. Uh, you know, everything that's happening, for instance, on YouTube, uh, people who just tell science in a completely different way with amazing followers and a very personal and, 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 and yeah, fascinating, surprising uh, way to, to tell science. Or, or all the, you know, the biohacking movements where people, um, you know, in a way, can make the most of democratized science, that they can have access to tools like genetic engineering or biology experiments or, or hacking, uh, hacking data. And how do you incorporate these kind of newcomers? How do you view them? Do you, do you feel that you have to engage with them or you, you, it's better to let them do their own things and so, to let, you know, so that they, 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 keep ha they still have this kind of um, um, alternative um, approach or, or you want to bring them in because they're cool and sure. you can't pass, you know, can't miss them? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. We've always believed in something that we call radical inclusion at the Exploratorium. And part of that um, is just being open uh, and, and really kind of trying to encourage everybody to believe that science is for everyone. And so when you, um, you know, I think this is one of the important reasons that, uh, for example, our explainers that come from all over the Bay Area and come from all a very diverse uh, background and a, a number of people from, from different areas, when somebody walks into a science museum, historically, they might not have felt that the place was for them, right? I mean, there's certainly this problem with some cultural institutions where all of the sort of indicators are biased toward a, spe a specific uh, you know, race or a specific gender or a specific way of thinking about the world. And so when you enter the Exploratorium, we're really open to encouraging this sense of radical inclusion. And I think that that extends as well to what you're talking about with all of the idea of new science communicators, new ways of science communication. We certainly, one of the things that we do incredibly well is that we're a great convener, I think, of different kinds of thinkers and, and it, we're a very interdisciplinary place, right? So we might have a panel where we bring in artists and lawyers and scientists and ask them to talk about a specific topic. And so what happens is that often I find that they, they end up coming up with or at least encouraging the audience to consider ideas in ways that they never would have uh, given a context in which only lawyers were talking to each other, right? So I think that when people are able to interact in this interdisciplinary way, it pushes against the, the kind of concept of the echo chamber, which you see on social media, where people are only talking to each other. They only are talking to people with their same background. They're only talking to people who think the same way that they do. And so the Exploratorium is very good at, at creating a space where this interdisciplinary work can, can happen, whether that work is around science or around art or around any number of other social uh, concerns, I think it's a, a really wonderful place to be. Maybe a, a last question, always tough, I try. Um, I think there is a, a bigger and bigger recognition that science so far has not been very inclusive. It's, well, you know, mainly Occident, you know, Western, European, American, male, like middle-aged science, uh, without inc much inclusion of different gender or minorities or even religious beliefs, I guess. And are you, you know, are you, are you concerned about it? Are you, what can you do to kind of, you know, change it a little bit, the balance and, and give a voice to, you know, maybe different, you know, d different crowds? So most of the work that we do as far as uh, research papers that we publish and the, the work in, in science that we do is, is in uh, science communication, uh, science education, and a lot of the work that we're doing is in tinkering. And so we've actually been engaged in a lot of academic research into um, how we can contribute to equity in STEM. And so I think that one of the ways that, that you can address this question, which is a very important question, 
is try to identify where it begins. And it begins a lot in education. So if people at a very young age do not feel that they have the opportunity to move into or that they're not encouraged or that they don't feel that like they have access to education or to STEM uh, careers, then I think that you end up with what we have, which is people who are, who are lacking in diversity, as you say, right? And so if we, um, which we, we do, we have a number of programs where we reach out to uh, schools and systems that are in the Bay Area of people who might not otherwise feel that they uh, would end up in STEM. And we work with them and give them a lot of opportunities to tinker and to play and to think with their hands, to build things, to do engineering projects, even as very young children. Often I think that what we find is that they end up getting very interested in science. And, and I remember there's one anecdote which is really powerful. Um, one of the women who does a lot of this work in, in STEM told me recently that she was working with a little girl and the little girl was working with electrical circuits. And she put these circuits together and it took her a little while, but she figured out how to create a circuit and the light went on. And she looked up and she was like, am I smart? And it was like the, you know, the, the experience of just kind of giving her this opportunity to figure something out and then to create, uh, to, to figure out how to create something and think with her hands. I mean, it's just really profound, you know, the opportunity that that provides. And so she also is now kind of, who knows, maybe, maybe she's more inclined to uh, pursue a career in science or, or in STEAM, and maybe she's not. But, but ultimately, that moment was very powerful, I think. Martin, it's a really nice, nice conclusion for me, uh, you know, a note of hope. Uh, about the future, I wish you the best for the future. The Exploratorium is, um, is really an example for a lot of institutions around the world, so I can only wish you the best. Thank Thanks. you. It's why I really love the place, and it's, a, it's been an honor to talk with you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks. Science with the Swiss Touch.